and welcome to Residential Spread. On the pod today, we've got Corey. What's up, Corey? Hey, not much. Um, I, I feel like you've got like a spooky tone in your voice, which I appreciate, given the episode topic. I'm doing my best, trying to, trying to keep it eerie, keeping it eerie. <laughs> we've also got Eric Lewis with us. What's going on, Eric? Not that much, just general exhaustion. <laughs> Yeah, it's that point in the semester that that's starting to set in. And, of course, all the way from Fort Worth, we've got Alex Edwards. Alex, what's up? Not much. I was trying to come up with a, um, a gag I could do um, as Adrian Barbeau's character from The Fog. Um, she, number one, it's spooky. Love but that idea. Number two, she's like a real sexy like DJ in the lighthouse. Um, if you've never seen the movie The Fog, I promise that makes more sense. Um, but then I couldn't think of, this has been a long explanation to say that I couldn't think of it, what any of her lines were or the name of the um, lighthouse radio station. So, and so We'll fix it in post. Told you about it. <laughs> I think they call that telling, not showing in the yes. biz, but that's yeah. okay. And of course, we have Molly Slavin. What's up, Molly? Doing well. Um, last night I was turning off my porch light, and we have like one of those Halloween skeletons hanging. And I, I saw it, and I jumped out of my skin. And the actual <laughs> phrase "What is a dead man doing on my porch?" Uh, went through my brain. So um, I'm doing much better than I was last night. Well, Just imagine how terrifying it will be to people who didn't put the decorations up. I know to those small children who come for you know candy. Well, Molly, once you jumped out of your skin, there were two skeletons on your porch. Very Ooh. well done. I didn't Did see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Residential Spread, we talk about colleges and the coronavirus. We analyze the decisions schools are making in response to the pandemic, investigate how existing structures of academia affect those decisions, and discuss what it's like to navigate higher ed during a pandemic as members of the spookiest class of academic laborers, the precariat. <laughs> uh, as you as you, as you may be able to tell, uh, we have a special theme for this for this episode, just in time to release two weeks after Halloween, probably. Um, so uh, we've joked before this season about how the second full school year of the pandemic has felt like a sequel to a horror movie, and today we're talking about a uniquely scary aspect of higher ed during the pandemic. Communications from upper administration. Why do we get so many emails, newsletters, and blog posts from these people, and what makes them so scary? Uh, and to help us answer some of those questions, we're going to share some truly spine-tingling emails from admin, both at Georgia Tech and beyond. My heart was not in the spine-tingling. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> these emails will have you running for the hills or at least have you running towards an alt-ac career path. Um, but before we get to the the emails themselves, I think we have a special guest um, MC to introduce things. Hello, boils and ghouls. <laughs> Don't be scared. It's just me, your favorite res spread horror host. Not a guest, a host, an occasional host. Today I have a special treat for you. It's a series of stories about things that go... Ping in the night. <laughs> You're just going about your business, keeping up with way too many emails. And when you open the latest one, your stomach drops. You're being told to pretend it's like 2019 and hang in there. Not a hanging joke, unfortunately. 
Your provost has been writing, not their famous blog posts, but instead, an inspirational, unifying missive. I call today's story, It Came from the Desk of the Provost. (laughs) (laughs) That was truly terrifying. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) Well, to start off with our first tale slash email. Uh, This is from August 2nd from Angel Cabrera, Georgia Tech's president, and the subject line is preparing for fall semester. Very innocuous subject line. So here we go. Members of the Georgia Tech community, as we prepare for a new academic year, I want to thank you and every member of our community for all you have done and continue to do to keep Georgia Tech strong, stay safe, and healthy, and deliver on our important mission, even under the most challenging circumstances. I'm particularly grateful to all of you who have gotten vaccinated against COVID-19. Thanks to the work of the Stamps Health Health Services and the COVID-19 Response Task Force, as well as your commitment to the health of our community, we have administered more than 32,000 vaccines to more than 17,000 individuals on campus. Thousands more have been vaccinated elsewhere, contributing to the safety of our entire community. The new vaccines have proven to be extraordinarily effective at preventing severe illness. Data across the U.S. show that new hospitalizations and deaths due to the new virus variants are associated almost entirely with unvaccinated individuals. If there is one thing each one of us can do to protect ourselves and keep others safe, it is to get vaccinated. If you have questions or concerns about vaccination, it's critical that you discuss them with your healthcare provider or any member of our Stamps Health Services team, led by Dr. Ben Holton. I ask that you reach out to them, get any information you may need, and get vaccinated if you haven't already. Getting vaccinated at Georgia Tech is easy and free. If you choose not to get vaccinated, you will be at risk of contracting COVID-19 and infecting others, with potentially severe consequences for you or someone else. To lower the risk for you and others, you are encouraged to wear a mask in indoor public places, including campus buildings, as recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you are unvaccinated and are exposed to someone with COVID-19, you will be subject to quarantine per Georgia Department of Public Health guidelines. The CDC recently issued new interim guidance recommending the use of masks inside public buildings, even by fully vaccinated individuals, as a precaution given the broad circulation of the highly contagious Delta variant of the virus. At Georgia Tech, everyone is encouraged to wear a mask or face covering while inside campus facilities. I encourage everyone in the Georgia Tech community to follow these recommendations, vaccinate and wear a mask in campus buildings. To be clear, neither vaccination nor masking in indoor public spaces is required at Georgia Tech. The University System of Georgia continues to work closely with the Georgia Department of Public Health to prioritize the health and safety of our campus communities. While I hope you will follow these public health recommendations, we will respect individual choices. Ah, I'm, I can't. I can't hold it in anymore. <laughs> there's a there's a bit more, but but you sort of get the gist. Uh, and of course, uh, as always, he signs it. Jackets moving forward together! Exclamation point. Ah. <laughs> so the. He he gives it the M dash first name sign off for that personal yes. touch. Yes. Oh yeah. Very intimate. Yes. <laughs> Our friend Anho. Right. <laughs> Just got a note from my friend. Um, I'm really struck by um, the the 
paragraph, the very last paragraph you read, the reason I like lost it <laughs> um, is because this this line, the University System of Georgia continues to work closely with the Georgia Department of Public Health to prioritize the health and safety of our campus communities. Um, is that's one of those that's been handed straight down from the university system office. And I have now read it so many times um, that it like has seared itself into my brain. Yes. Yeah. It seems designed to be brought up in an eventual court case where they can prove that they were not negligent. Yep. Like mm. that's what that sentence is for. I feel like. Right. Yeah. It's well, also it means just nothing. Exactly. It is a meaningless talking point. We are working close with this group. What are we doing with them? Nothing, because the rest of the email has just been telling you, do whatever you want. I'll encourage you to do certain things, but do whatever you want. Yeah. If you remember back to our interview uh, with Matthew Bodie, like the Georgia Department of Public Health isn't even able to get testing up and running at all of these schools, let alone actually facilitate any any real public health initiatives. So all it means is that somebody exchanged an email at some point with somebody else, like working closely together. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then also, of course, we have the, the thing where it, that whatever it is that, that Georgia Department of Public Health has said is contradicted by the CDC. Who also get invoked a lot earlier in the email. <clears throat> they do. Without actually like the school taking any of their actual recommendations and making them mandates. Right. But Georgia Tech is strong. <laughs> it's moving forward together. I was going to say, and we're moving forward together. And they have vaccinated 17,000 individuals on campus. Funny enough, once again, they don't want to give us the denominator yeah. for that. <laughs> I I also like the, 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 the next sentence, which is thousands more have been vaccinated elsewhere. Like thousands. There's a wide range of numbers that could be included in thousands. <laughs> yeah. And what is the elsewhere? Like Metro Atlanta? <laughs> like, oh, out of six million of us? Great. Yeah. But yeah. we don't even know if it's right because we're right. not allowed to ask for vaccination status. Right. Right. So, like, it's logically, just... yes, probably thousands have been vaccinated, but two could have been vaccinated and we'll never know. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, these are numbers that sound impressive until you think about them for a single second. Well, I mean, 17,000 individuals is like half of the student body. Right. Right. Like that, and that wouldn't even count um, contractors, uh, staff, staff, faculty, administrators. And our families. And families. Our families are and eligible families. to get um, Who? vaccinated attack. Right. Right. Yeah, you're talking well over 50,000 people plus, yeah. yeah, plus families. Yeah. 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 That don't, they, they're trying to, they're constantly trying to fool us with this math and it doesn't work. I see through it. <laughs> we have degrees in economics. So right. We are, we are particularly <laughs> right, right. qualified to see through it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes. And we're providing a service to the public at large by, by bringing that expertise to them. Um, but yeah. wait, sure. there's more. But wait, there is more. <laughs> our buddy and how. Um, so let me see. When was that that email sent? The one that that you was sent? August second. That was August second. So two weeks later, um, on August sixteenth, he put up a a blog post in the office of the president blog. A scintillating reading. 
Obviously. <laughs> these um, also, we, I we should say, these also come to us in our email. We get right. email updates when blog posts like this get published. But yeah, and and you can't opt out of them. No. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> I schools that send out listserv blasts that you can't opt out of. I <laughs> want them to be tried at the Hague. <laughs> that is a human rights violation, frankly. Um. All right. So August sixteen. On Hell writes, he opens it with this sentiment. I know you are as excited as I am to see our campus full of life again. Um, I, I don't think you do know that, sir. <laughs> um, classes and labs, vibrant resident and dining halls, old traditions and new friendships and an exciting football season just around the corner. Uh he then goes on to say, thanks to your work and the collective efforts of our community last year, we were able to keep Georgia Tech moving forward while containing the effects of the COVID-19 virus. Containing them to what? Only the like 3,000 people that got infected? Um, yeah. It wasn't easy, but we did it together and ended up having an extraordinary year after all. COVID-19 may have changed the way we do some things, but it also highlighted our strength and resilience. I just threw up in my mouth. Resilience. Do a shot. Yep. (laughs) Now that same commitment and resolve is how we must move forward. It's vital that we critically reflect not only on our rights to individual autonomy and free choice, but also on our responsibility to others. (sighs) Yeah. He once again encourages people to get vaccinated um, a lot of this is like the same language. Also, when you're in a classroom, lab, or shared office space, please wear a mask. Um, I, the, weirdly, this one does not have that that whole song and dance about um, how they can't make you wear a mask, but they can ask you to wear a mask. Um, yeah, that came up. They put that part earlier, right? With the it's vital that we critically reflect not only on our individual rights. It's it's sort of there, less explicitly, but still there, right? Yeah. He then ends with, uh, I thank you for joining our collective endeavor to move forward. How many times has he fucking said move forward in this email? <sighs> move forward into another successful fall semester and academic term. We can and will do this together. I look forward to seeing you around campus, exclamation point. Jackets moving forward, period. M dash on hell. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if during our COVID marketing episode, we talked about moving forward. I think we talked about jackets protecting jackets, but I like this new variety on the here of it all on the, what is it? Uh, oh, what what was the Boston one? The Boston one was so good, but I can't remember it off the fuck top of my head. Fuck it won't cut it. Oh, fuck it fuck won't it cut, won't it. cut yeah. it. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Words to live by. I need to remember them. <laughs> but I love, like, in addition to the just the statement, I know you are as excited as I am. Just the the sort of rah-rah celebration of we are a great institution that was able to weather COVID. That is something we should be proud of and continue doing. Like, turning COVID into this weird cause of celebration um, in the first few paragraphs seems a recurrent note in scary emails from administrators. Listen, it wasn't easy, but we did it together and ended up having an extraordinary year after all, according to Angel. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and say we didn't do it together. Um, and also, a lot of us quit our jobs over it, uh, myself included. <laughs> you know, like, like we personally know at least half a dozen people who either quit or took early retirement mm -hmm. just within our little tiny circle in Georgia yes. Tech. Um, and from what I understand across USG, um, they are hemorrhaging faculty and staff at an astonishing rate um, all over the system. Right. So this idea that like you could just you could just say we did it together and that we had an extraordinary year and like you're the president of the school. So no one can fucking contradict you. Right. Like wrong, my friend. Wrong. My year was not extraordinary. It was bad. I had a bad year. <laughs> yeah yeah and to i mean to go back briefly to the jackets moving forward thing it's it's all the the this is a phrase that gets trotted out a lot um in the communications around COVID, and it's always the forward is always depicted as a movement back towards uh quote-unquote normal right uh campus full of life again right it's such a weird contradiction that he opens with we're about to have our campus be full of life again. Everything's going to be happening on campus. We're going to have a full football stadium, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately, oh, but we were so resilient last year. We did such a great job last year that we can't wait to stop doing everything we learned to do last year <laughs> and throw everyone back in class, even if it means that people quit. And even if it means that, you know, high risk students have to make hard choices about whether they want to come to school or not. And all of these things, right? Because we got to move forward. And forward means forgetting all of the things that we learned over the last 18 months. Well, it's weirdly appropriate. Like, we are moving relentlessly forward, no matter mm -hmm. what the case numbers are. Right. Like, <laughs> right. it also just makes me think of, okay, not to get too esoteric, but obviously forward it's like this deeply embedded western linear progress narrative like forward good like progress we're always getting better but it always makes me think of che guevara used to say this thing about like never take a step backwards not even to gain momentum and it was like this weird mantra and it just gives me those vibes where it's like we can't stop we can't think we can't reflect we can't change course we can only move forward we can only progress we can only fill in the blank, like win more football games, grow the endowment, have more research awards, have more classes on campus. Like everything is this unidirectional metric for success. It's like, don't stop. Don't even try to gain momentum. Just go forward no matter what. And it's such a weird mentality for a place of higher learning <laughs> that, as we've talked about, maybe um, takes a backseat to some of these other concerns. Well, I will just share um, that here at TCU, um, as opposed to moving forward, our, our mantra here is protect the purple, um, which I, yeah. Um, and of course, in Notre Dame, it's it's here, right? Here. So it's, yes. It's just <laughs> staying in place. So yeah. we've got the whole, the whole gamut um, yeah. represented. Yeah. I don't have one of these, like, we don't get these, these kinds of emails like this from TCU administration. So I pulled up something to trust, try to like compare the rhetoric. Um, and we have, um, an email from the provost recently 
that said, I want to especially thank you for protecting the purple by getting vaccinated. It is our strongest defense against the virus and our best chance to keep TCU a connected community. And it shows. Our case counts are low. Only 10 this week. All were off-campus students. (laughs) So they don't matter. Yeah, they have it coming. (laughs) They have it coming, right? Uh, Yeah, and the, like, the weird, like, um, mobilization of, like, school spirit, right? So, like, it's not, you know, don't protect everybody. Like, who gives a shit about the the people living in Fort Worth? No one cares, right? It's just, you just care about your, your fellow horned frogs protect the purple lana like hammering on the vaccination thing now i've noticed which is good like that's good well i mean it is good but it also is a little bit like frustrating to have it tied into all this other like bullshit right because my tendency is to be like well you know fuck you (laughs) um it's like, it, I don't know, it's, it's risks like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I guess. Yeah, I think I think the question is, at this point, does the president of Georgia Tech saying you should get vaccinated move people towards vaccination or does it just give him something to point to when people say he's not doing enough to encourage vaccinations? Right. For me, that's like, that's why I get suspicious of it, I guess. It's the latter. I think we all know that. Yeah, it's the bare minimum for sure. All right, should we should we well, move to? Also, go uh, ahead. We've also got provosts. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I interrupted you with my own attempt at transitioning. Yeah. So um, a week after that, so August twenty third. This is a Monday. I think this is like the third or fourth full day of the semester. We Georgia Tech. Uh, the Georgia Tech community, to use their language, got an email from the office of the provost. This is a regular newsletter that usually includes like just basic like campus PR stuff. And then usually there's something that the provost signs in it. I think we've had much to say about some of the newsletters from our recently retired provost. This is from our new provost, um, Steve McLaughlin. Here we go. Dear colleagues, The beginning of fall classes is always a time of excitement and anticipation as we welcome our students to campus. This fall, while we are returning to in-person, our community continues to face the challenge of navigating classes and campus safely together. I've spoken with many of you over the past few weeks as we've worked to establish our campus guidelines for fall, and I'd like to thank you for your patience and your continued commitment to the well-being and success of our students and the Georgia Tech community as a whole. Last year, we learned that the key to keeping our community safe and healthy is layers of mitigation, vaccination, testing, masking, cleaning, ventilation, and more. We will be continuing, <laughs> we will be continuing our multi-pronged approach this fall with ongoing vaccine clinics, fast and free asymptomatic testing, and improved ventilation. Additionally, The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends the use of face coverings inside public buildings, even by fully vaccinated individuals. At Georgia Tech, everyone is encouraged to wear masks or face coverings while inside campus facilities. Some faculty have asked how best to communicate their preferences about masks to students. In the classroom, I encourage you to communicate your preference openly and sincerely at the beginning of the semester. 
If you are comfortable doing so, you might also share the personal experience and or perspective that supports your preference. Fuck you. I know your personal passion for your work and those you teach is at the center of all that you do. I also know that this is a challenging time that taps into concerns for your students' health and safety, as well as your own. It's with that in mind that I ask you to be aware that some students may choose not to follow your preference and should not be penalized or treated differently based on their personal decision. I encourage you to make the decisions that will keep yourself and others as safe as possible and let others make their own without penalization or being singled out. <laughs> okay, so can we <sighs> can we pause there? <laughs> By all means. Yeah. I mean, all so, that comes next is like more garbage language about vaccination. So. Yes, and yes. like some sort of concluding just rah rah Georgia Tech. I'm so yes. proud to be a glad yeah, uh, to be part the, of this community. That's the bulk of it. Yeah, but I feel like that paragraph you just read is the standout moment. Uh, I, I mean, especially <laughs> the, the line that stands out to me is. I know your personal passion for your work and those you teach is at the center of all that you do, which (laughs) I mean, just such a, like such a weaponization of discourse about teaching and people's love of teaching. Like it's very much a, instead of, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. It's sort of a love what you do and you don't care about dangerous work conditions sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you care about work conditions, Mm -hmm. that's because you don't care enough about students and you should feel bad. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was an interesting rhetorical move. (laughs) (laughs) If, if, if we think back to those episodes we did last year about like Brian Kemp and busting teachers unions, this is Mm -hmm. somehow less subtle than that discourse. Which is honestly impressive. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, like, despite everything that's terrifying in these emails, like, again, (laughs) as we've talked about before, I do really enjoy scary movies. I can't help but be impressed by a lot of what's going on in these emails. (laughs) In a very negative way, but still, still. I think also just, again, the emphasis on, like, Fall classes are coming. I know you're excited. I know you're anticipating it. Like, just the complete, like, we aren't going to talk about the potential of anxiety, but go ahead, Alex. There's, well, there's just, like, a weird, oh, God, who is the the rhetorician, the scholar of rhetoric who talks about, like, the power of speech acts to, like, make, to shape reality, right? Uh, Are you thinking of J.L. Austin? Absolutely, I am thinking of J.L. Austin. Um, I thought that couldn't be right because it seems so close to Jane Austen. And I was like, no, that's I'm mixing up things I do. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like so. So this idea that like if we just say that you're excited, if we just tell you that you're excited about school, then that will be true. Right. Like, yeah. And I just don't know, like, who who is the audience for this, right? Because, like, I don't know that any of us would open this email and be like, wow, Steve, you know what? You're right. I am excited. It is, on the one hand, like, such a head in the sand, like, we'll just pretend everything is fine and we'll just tell you how you're supposed to feel. And and thereby, because we've said it, it will obviously be true. And then on the other hand, it's such a bizarre, like, these aren't contradictory, but they, they like sit next to each other. It's such a bizarre 
request for emotional labor, right? Um, that like, we know you're excited. You're excited, right? You need to, you need to have an emotion. Your job is not just to go and teach students or do your research or whatever it is, right? Your job is also apparently to like feel a certain way and have that be visible, <laughs> um, which is like so sinister. That's all I have. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking about the, the sort of Austin point and yeah, it's like that first sentence is setting expectations for his workforce, right? Yeah. Like you, yeah. Like part of your job now is to be excited in anticipation of this in-person semester, right? Molly likes to make the joke about we hear for you from succession. Do I ever? I, I get a lot of, of those vibes from this bit about I've spoken with many of you over the past few weeks as we've worked to establish our campus guidelines for fall. There was not a single open meeting with with the provost over over the summer in setting up these guidelines. Um, I'd like to thank you for your patience and your continued commitment to the well-being and success of our students in Georgia Tech. Right. Trust me, I got input from you, even though I, I, I don't know who he spoke to. Right. Some, yeah. Some faculty have asked how best to communicate their preferences about masks to the students. Not a chance anybody asked Provost Stephen McLaughlin that question. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do love the, the thank you for your patience thing, because that's a sort of classic. I'm going to avoid apologizing by thanking you for mm -hmm. this virtue that you have exercised that I'm going to celebrate <laughs> uh, and hold up as an example the ugliness like that one particular part of the ugliness of the optional nature of all of these recommendations like oh feel free to encourage faculty like just all of the load is placed on individual faculty so it's like hey mm -hmm. faculty maybe just share your personal experience like maybe talk about your loved ones who died yeah that's a cool thing to bring up that's probably not stressful for you or anything. Also, I don't know, maybe you're members of the precariat and your job may be more or less reliant upon course instructor feedback. But yeah, go ahead and say controversial stuff to your students in order to look out for the health of people. So on that on that point, too, because we teach English and we're often encouraging students to use active voice, right? It's It's more direct. It's more concise. The exception, of course, for using passive voice is when you want to obscure the agency or who is doing the action, right? And this paragraph is so contorted by passive voice. Like, it is with that in mind that I ask you to be aware that some students may choose not to follow your preferences. You know, I encourage you to make the decision that will keep yourself and others as safe as possible and let others make their own. It's like the language has to get so contorted because he can't just say, I am not willing to put my job on the line to contest the fact that the USG is not mandating these things. Mm -hmm. He just won't, he just won't say that, which, you know, I think we all agree he probably should say that, but clearly that's not the strategic decision he made. So the language itself has to be so circuitous just to convey like, look, do everything in your power to convince students to do the right thing, but I cannot support you or provide any resources to doing that. Like you have to convince them. Well, but also, like, there, it's unclear what the right thing is, right? 
because it's right. so broad and, and it's specifically written this it's way. It's what you think it is. Exactly. It, it, it is. If you are anti-mask, um, like some of our colleague, a colleague, <laughs> not even some, a singular colleague in the School of Modern Languages, um, if you are anti-mask, then you can read this as telling you to to make the choice that you think is right, not wear a mask. And then, but if your students want to wear masks, then you should not single them out and make them feel bad about it. Um, and if you're pro-mask, as many of us are, then you, the, like the same thing applies to you, right? Like, it's really wild that I'm trying to come up with like an analogy for this, right? Like, imagining someone saying like, there are two sides to gun safety. And if you choose to learn about how to safely operate a gun, then that's great for you. And if you choose to not learn how to safely operate a gun, but operate the gun anyways, then like, that's also great. You know, like, yeah, that that analogy makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's this willful misunderstanding of how masks work still. It right? is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the other weird part that I'm sort of you all are helping me like put my finger on is they marshal all of the evidence for masks into these these communications, right? The CDC says you wear ma- you should wear masks. We think you should wear masks. Here are links to like those guidances. But also, whatever choice you make is equally valid, and no one can critique whichever choice you make. Yeah. To go back to what Josh was saying in terms of how this act of communication lives up to what we expect of our students in a first-year communication class, this is the sort of classic piece of writing from a student who isn't confident enough in their own voice. So the student who puts forward an argument, who states a thesis, provides supporting claims and evidence, and then at the end says, oh, but but you can read it whatever way you want. Like, this is classic poor communication, but strategically so. Like, it's effective for the sinister ends of this situation. But at the same time, <laughs> models <laughs> a lot of the very things we tell students to avoid. I just keep staring at that sentence, Josh, that you started reading. It's Miltonic. Like, this sentence could be in Paradise Lost. (laughs) It is so, like, inverted and backwards, and the subject and verb are so buried. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's impressive. (laughs) It takes a lot of words to obfuscate the very simple matter, which is, I just can't tell you that you're allowed to force your students to wear masks, (laughs) so I've got to do all this nebulous kind of language. You know what is weirdly sad to me is that the idea that these men spent multiple meetings, probably hours, hours and hours of their lives trying to figure out how they could craft this messaging to try to get as much mask buy-in as possible while also not going over the line and thereby risking their jobs. Like, that's depressing. <laughs> you know, like, we have one life. We have one life in this world. <laughs> Is it more or less depressing to spend your time crafting this legalese or putting out communications about peace officers? Oh, oh let's, God. yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you let's, for that transition. So <laughs> it turns out it. that terrifying emails can be about more than COVID. So this is also 
a scary email from outside of Georgia Tech from the University of North Georgia. Specifically, this is an email that was sent out by University of North Georgia's Office of Leadership and Global Engagement. So I think it'll be interesting to look for the leadership and global engagement in this message. And this was sent out on May 14th. So this Saturday, uh, May 15th, is National Peace Officers Memorial Day. Over the last 12 to 18 months. I already have questions. I'm sorry. I just (laughs) already have questions. What, What? Sorry. What is a national peace officer? So I assume peace officer is a way of making police officers sound better. It's sort of like police officers are really peace officers. We need to remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that Uh, word national is doing a lot of gross work. Well, and also like Memorial Day, right? So this is the national day to to memorialize, to remember fondly the peace officers we have lost in the line of duty due to covid probably (laughs) frequently due to covid but also once again (laughs) police in the united states i say once again i've been talking about this in my classes police in the united states can be traced directly back to patrols of white men um, who were armed and empowered under the law to return escaped enslaved people to their enslavers. <laughs> like, this is again another like speech act that's like, if we just call them peace officers, then it will somehow ameliorate the idea that they're in fact like murderous fascists who roam our streets like with impunity. Yes. Also fascinating that you brought up this tracing of policing specifically to armed white men, because this is an email that is very interested in the fact that police can be other than white men, (laughs) (laughs) which I have a lot of thoughts about. But anyway, over the last 12 to 18 months, there have been a series of tragic incidents that have, according to some challenge the trust of local communities and their law enforcement officers with some significant racial overtones. This is an unfortunate perception, given that almost all the chiefs of police in our major cities where significant trouble has occurred are minorities. Basically, the way I read this is, you know what the real problem is in terms of racial profiling and policing? The fact that everyone assumes cops are white men. There's a rule on Wikipedia that says you're not allowed to use weasel words um, in writing Wikipedia articles. Uh, And the peak of the example of weasel words would be according to some. Yep. A series of tragic events that, according to some, challenge the trust of local communities and their law enforcement officers. Not me, but some. Some. Who? I will not be telling you who. Also, um, significant racial overtones. I'm also teaching about race in both of my class preps right now um, and and specifically anti-black racist violence in the United States. And the degree to which like the, the, the frequency with which people will say that something is racial as opposed to saying that it's racist is astonishing to me. I like, <laughs> don't know. I, yeah. Ugh. I yeah, I, I also think a series of tragic incidents 
and significant trouble. I mean, like, it's not like the word trouble has ever been used to cover over, um, <laughs> like, specific acts of injustice or violence before, but I'm suspicious of its use here. Yeah. Well, the events have only taken place over the last 12 to 18 months. Right. Um, never anything before that. So there's Which, no there's no connection to anything else. It, it kind of contradicts <laughs> what you were saying earlier, Alex, about the origin of peace officers, if nothing bad happened until 18 months ago. Well, I mean, that's it's COVID, right? They're obviously right. the tragic um, <laughs> stuff they're talking about is COVID. <laughs> oh, my God. So anyway, to continue. That list of major cities where, again, significant trouble has occurred includes Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, D.C., Miami, Minneapolis, Memphis, Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco, among many, many other metropolitan locations. <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of Democrats. Too many, many. Too many. <laughs> I want to, yeah, I, it needs to be clear that, like, Eric did not stumble, if you're listening at home. It the sentence reads, many, many other. <laughs> there are two many's in that sentence. T-W-O many's. Also T-O-O many's. <laughs> and then the next sentence starts with many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Many local and defenseless neighborhood residents in these areas take great issue with the ideas of no police or defund the police. The results of these debates are yet to be seen, but clearly protection of our citizens and neighborhoods is an imperative requirement of government, the main reason it exists in the first place. I'm so glad you're reading this out loud because I missed <laughs> so much on my first speech. <laughs> Yes. So there was a reason I really wanted to read this one out loud, <laughs> even at the same time where I was like, oh, this is going to be so awkward to read out loud. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> the main reason it exists in the first place. Incredible. I didn't realize we had sorted out the the main reason that government exists. Right? Like, right. people have been arguing about the main function of government since government was invented. Yeah, it's to keep black people out of our neighborhoods. I mean, that's that's in the Federalist paper. Didn't you see Hamilton? Like, that's just – everybody knows that. <laughs> no, I feel really silly since it was just an easy thing to say in an email. Like, I thought I had to, I don't know, do research or something in order to make an argument about it, but – like, I mean, I, you know, I've been teaching this class on anarchist um, nonfiction and like I can take you back to fucking 1548 where there were arguments about what is the main function of government? Like, what is it that government is meant to do? Um, and at that point, it was like a, a centuries long debate that had been going on that that people were weighing in on in 1548. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to say, though, real quick is the fact that the approach of this email is, okay, so there has been this increased attention to racist violence through policing lately. Let's talk about it. What should our approach be? Our, sh our approach should be to, like, counter defund the police. Like, that's a very strong take uh, that I was kind of shocked by. <laughs> 
what happens is that it's collapsing, right? Like whatever the series of tragic events is, which is the series of tragic events is the extrajudicial murders of black men by police officers, right? Which they of course will not say. Um, but then like to then immediately go like many local and defenseless neighborhood residents in these areas take great issue with the idea of no police as though the tragedy is like, well, these, you know, crazy progressives got rid of all of our cops and then defenseless people in neighborhoods just started dying. I'm like, yeah. And that, and I, I, Josh made this point, but just to, to reiterate that list of cities is just like a pile of dog whistles, right? Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, DC, Miami, Minneapolis, Memphis, Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco. If there is a stereotype of, predominantly black cities or predominantly liberal cities they are on this list well there's a couple that are yeah i mean los angeles and new york well because i don't think those are factually correct (laughs) 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 yeah but they included as many dog whistles as they could basically but moving on to the next paragraph most of these senior law enforcement officers are african-american And at least two in Philadelphia and Memphis are African-American females. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Very interesting. This is is where we really, like, we were going over the cliff. We we didn't realize that actually there was this other cliff that we have completely (laughs) plowed off of. Like, the bottom just completely falls out of this thing. Oh, my God. This is now like functionally indistinguishable from rants that you would read on 4chan. Right. Yeah. This is a Tucker Carlson segment. Yeah. Yeah. And just like whenever people start start using male and female in discussing humans, like it gets a real 19th century race science sense to me. But anyway, moving on. These officers are clearly dedicated to fair and just law enforcement in their communities, regardless of demographics. Aren't you white people lucky that these black police chiefs are committed to your safety, even though you're white? They stand as personal examples, that law enforcement and justice must be blind, just as portrayed by Justicia, I, I, I don't know, I think that's <laughs> Lady right. Justice, blindfolded with the scales of justice and unaware of any personal characteristics that might adjust the scales unfairly. Luckily, these police officers don't see color. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's totally that. I also, this is a small thing, but it just gets to how poorly this is constructed. That first sentence, most of these senior law enforcement, of, what senior law enforcement officers? The previous paragraph is about the meaning of government and a bunch of cities. <laughs> What's the yeah. antecedent to these senior law There's like a missing paragraph. They did that with these debates as well, I noticed. Yeah. There was no, yeah. I, I think the thread of the thread of logic that that is picking back up on is, you know, the some some have challenged the trust of local communities and their law enforcement officers. This is unfortunate, an unfortunate perception, given that almost all the chiefs of police in our major cities where significant trouble has occurred are minorities. So we've lost that thread for a little while to, you know, theorize government in two sentences. Right. And then. Right. And then we're back to this. But this is the thing that I was going to say earlier is 
in some ways, this email goes against a thesis we were developing earlier, which is that these are like really like carefully constructed rhetorical documents. This is a shit show. I just and I just want to remind everyone. I just want to remind everyone that this came from the University of North Georgia's Office of Leadership and Global Engagement. <laughs> Again, we're not we're not actually reading just like some random alt-right chuds like read <laughs> that he posted on Reddit. Like yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a theory that this person went rogue, but we can talk about that. <laughs> okay. I'd be very interested uh, to hear that theory. Corey, I agree with you. That's what really stood out to me about this email. I don't think any sentence in here qualifies as Miltonic, but <laughs> I think there is this fascinating, the conceptual ingenuity of, okay, this is the approach I am going to take to this difficulty. The way I read this email, the sort of thesis I would put onto it would be that some blue lives belong to black people, making those particular black people matter. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. kind of how I read this. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is, <laughs> again, <laughs> fascinating. Well, it's like, it, it, it's the whole thing of like, oh, you want to defund the, the police? Oh, you're going to hurt black people because there are black cops. Like it's yeah. just a very it's a very weird inability to think about systems, which is what the whole concept of defunding the police is like this is a systemic problem we need to address at the systemic level. And it's like, yeah, but these two women, these two that we found, they're both black and they're both females. So what are you going to say now because we found two <laughs> counterexamples? Yes. You yeah. think all police are these angry white men, but we found two that are not. It, it just also, like, not only does it disregard the, the systemic nature of the critique of police that abolitionists mount, right? But it also, like, completely disregards the, the systemic operation of white supremacy and how white supremacy is divorced from your personal, like, skin color um, or can be, right? That, like, most people who are thinking about abolition or systemic racism would absolutely 1000% say that like, it does not matter what race you belong to, you can access the power of white supremacy. And that is doing something very specific, right? So the fact that these are black women who are leading these police forces in these cities, like, does not mean that they cannot participate in the functioning, the upholding, um, and the, the systemic replication of white supremacy. Yeah. And I think just, just very quickly, even more than that, I think what this is trying to argue, however, incoherently, is it's not only that these Black Lives Matter because they are also blue lives, but because these Black people have reached this level in the police force, then there cannot be white, like the system cannot be white supremacist. And right, like the entire system is absolved by these people's adherence to uh, quote unquote blind justice, which we don't have time to get into blind justice, but <laughs> blind justice for 500 different reasons. Yes, I, I think that's a good point. It is the, but some of my best friends are black people. Um, right. But some of our police chiefs are black people. Yes. Uh, so like Josh, earlier you said, oh, there is a bottom dropping out. 
we aren't even too, like, there are more levels. <laughs> <laughs> so next three paragraphs, for example, <laughs> did not see this email heading here. Okay. Regardless of the current troubles, it is important to note that there are a number of nuances regarding service to the nation, capitalized, and to the <laughs> community. All service is important. In the military, this can be extremely intense for long periods of time when deployed. Once home, the focus is generally on normal activities and training. The intensity is relaxed. Not sure why we're talking about soldiers. Wait, <laughs> so is is UNG like it used to be the military school? It's the military school, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so okay. that's why. Got it. Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> Still doesn't make sense, but but I get it now. Anyway, next paragraph draws some interesting connections. <laughs> With law enforcement, things are different. It is almost like always being deployed, though creature comforts are better. But into an environment that can go from a peaceful traffic stop to a violent confrontation with some really bad people in a matter of seconds. Families yeah, you're the driver of the car. Exactly, exactly. I I especially love how that sentence very accurately describes the scariness of traffic stops. Just depends on how you're interpreting it. Anyway, families of law enforcement officers have no idea what a given day brings as their officer dons his or her uniform and walks out the door. They could neither, murder someone. Neither do any of us. Yeah. 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 Right. Certainly, their acceptance of this daily risk is worthy of great respect. This email is doing a lot with the, like, certainly and, like, surely. And, like, again, they're like, we will force you to think this way simply by saying that this is the common sense position. Well, it also it also does this thing where it like it takes on positions of like defund and abolitionist arguments like, you know, where the argument often gets made that police forces in the United States act more like an invading army than a police force that is meant to protect the peace. And here this this email says being a police officer is like being deployed. It's like being in the army. Right. Um, so it's like. It's like, yes, it is an occupying force. And isn't that hard for them to be an occupying force? Well, and that's why I brought up that UNG is the military school, because I think that the like understanding the audience for this, right, is like the ROTC audience. Like they they want to appeal to these people who who theoretically understand or are being prepared to understand like the hardships of serving in the military and deployment. Right. And then they're like. Well, but you couldn't possibly like as a as a person who is going to serve in the military or who's going to military school, you could not possibly hold the position of defund the police. You couldn't possibly be an abolitionist um, because you have so much in common with these cops. Right. Yes. I'm I'm also fascinated by just the contradiction of cops are basically soldiers, but they are also properly called peace officers. Like the the fact that that needle is somehow threaded or or not threaded, but that the the email attempts that is is shocking. Well, 
think about the I mean think about the rhetoric when we pulled out of Afghanistan like it was all about like what will happen to the women we were protecting right like it seemed to cast war as like a humanitarian mission yeah yeah oh well speaking of that (laughs) speaking of Afghanistan (laughs) next paragraph this past calendar year 2020 362 officers almost one per day died in the line of duty 45 died essentially in firefights with criminals. Essentially seems an interesting word choice there. Criminals is also an interesting word choice. Yes, yes, very much so. During the same period, only four U.S. service members died as a result of combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. This should provide some perspective on the sacrifice of our law enforcement officers and their families. I... I don't even want to entertain this argument enough to like actually engage with it, but we need like, if we were to do that, we would need denominators on both of those numbers, right? Like how many people are, were deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan in 2020 versus how many peace officers to use this language uh, were employed in the United States, right? (laughs) Oh, and also uh, there was a point I was going to make earlier, but I forgot to make it. It's fascinating. Again, just rewriting abolitionist claims but rewriting them to mean the opposite thing like the idea of oh the police are militarized or have become more militarized that's just us acknowledging the nature of policing and giving police what they always needed is is like like is a logically natural result of this reading anyway moving on as we approach peace officers memorial day this saturday It is appropriate to recognize their and their family's service and sacrifice in order to in order to protect and to serve. Our president's proclamation for this day can be found at the following link. And then uh, so I originally assumed our university president, but no, our president is former president Donald J. Trump. And there is a link to or I assume so. I actually think it's 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 Biden because it's this May. This is it is Biden. This is big. Like, I know what you guys are thinking, but I phone banked for Joe Biden. Perfect reference. Yeah. I love it so much. (laughs) But the military context helps there helps me there again, because I was thinking like our president. What do you mean? Like, I assume university president just in the context. The nationalism of it, I guess, makes sense. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, apparently there was a lot of backlash to the email because, but because on the following Tuesday, um, the UNG office of the president had to issue the following, and its subject line is "Response to Peace Officers Memorial Day Message." Um, Dear UNG students, faculty, and staff. A university-wide email this past Friday intended to to honor Peace Officers Memorial Day and the sacrifices of police officers. Unfortunately, other elements of the message (laughs) evoked personal and political perspectives that were offensive to individuals in our community and dismissive to those who have experienced the stress and trauma of racism and violence. I want to assure you, that all populations at UNG are supported, and that your membership in our UNG community is valued. 
over the past few years, UNG has actually, sorry, the actually was editorial. <laughs> UNG has increased its efforts to support diverse populations with new recruitment plans, increased services for students through the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs, and discussion forums, no verb, just discussion forums, uh, that promote the culture of inclusion at UNG. As a microcosm of society, tensions will exist between populations within our community, just as they do outside of our campus. However, at UNG, one of our goals is to create greater cultural understanding and competencies as we educate and prepare students to become successful leaders in an increasingly interconnected world. To achieve that goal, it is essential that our words and actions demonstrate respect for all individuals. Sincerely, Bunny to see Jacobs, PhD president. Oof. So I think, my theory, honestly, I think the person at the global change or whatever, I forgot the name of the office. <laughs> Leadership. <laughs> They're leaders, Molly. Leadership. <laughs> um, I think they went rogue. I don't know that the president was like that upset about it but i do think she was like jesus now i got this headache to 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 deal with i gotta send out this mild-mannered email you know what i mean um notice at no point does it apologize um it just states things like um people were offended um we're offensive to individuals in our community you're valued we have to ensure that our words and actions demonstrate respect for all individuals and there's also the calling the campus a microcosm of society like this again this idea that it exists outside of the real world but it might be i i truly think that the person went kind of rogue and probably the president agrees with a lot of what was said but um well i don't know i don't know her but you you'll notice the reply is like so carefully crafted um to avoid apologizing or taking any accountability but Molly, she's assuring you that <laughs> all the populations yeah. at UNG are supported. All, all, all UNG lives matter. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say, I am loving this continued attention to the performative. I assure you. Yeah. <laughs> I assure you, this is the case. Do you feel assured? She I'm doesn't assure even you. assure you. She wants to assure you. Yeah. That's right. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think that's right. I mean, this is doing the exact, like, very similar work to those emails we started with, even though it's a very different subject, right? If the president says it, then it is true, right? It has to be true. And that's scary. It's spooky. It's it is spooky. spooky. It's spooky. <laughs> 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 I, I feel bad to break in with any more content after that comment about it being spooky, but I'm also just given... Given that the first email is from the Office of Leadership and Global Engagement, like I am curious about how effective some of these increased efforts to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, such as the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs. I'm just curious. And discussion how that's forums. going. Not only they didn't set up the discussion forums, they're not moderating the discussion forums, they're not planning them, just <laughs> discussion forums. We here, we here for you. I like to think, <laughs> I, I, I realize that that probably means like events on campus, but I like to think that like someone at the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs just like said, fuck it, and like started a subreddit. <laughs> it's one of those things on canvas you know the discussion no, that's right yeah you're yeah right you're right everyone just got an invitation to this random canvas site 
<laughs> you know what I really, you know what I feel like really helps to support diverse populations is when you invite all of your various stakeholders and communities um, into a discussion forum where you get to discuss whether or not, for example, they have ever experienced racism or, you know, should cops continue to be allowed to murder African-Americans with impunity throughout the nation, right? That really, that, that, those are topics that really should be up for discussion. Are, you know, people of color, humans afforded the same rights under the laws of the United States as white people are? And that really does help all kinds of people, all diverse people feel supported. I think that's right. <laughs> I mean, I think your read of the of this is yes. correct. I <laughs> yes. do not think that is correct. Right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, you guys, I have to run because I have to teach a class in two yeah. minutes. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you all. You have to run after our 70 minute episode? I crazy. do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you all for talking through this with me. And uh, until next time, don't check your email after the sun goes down. <laughs> <laughs>